0: We've been uh, going through uh, verse by verse just about the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8, second half, one of my favorite. Chapter 5 is also one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. But chapter 8, it's like uh, he brings it to almost a conclusion, but there's more after that, too. <laughs> but today's message is about hope. I want to read you something uh, this morning. I have a. I don't know where we got this, probably at Bookman's, great place to find books. The one-year Christian history, every day, some historical thing took place uh, in the Christian world, and today, August 19th in the year 1849, a gentleman by the name of Samuel Samuel Miller preached his last sermon. He was born in 1769 near Dover, Delaware, where his father was a Presbyterian minister. Mr. Miller was a descendant of the pilgrims John Alden and Priscilla Mullins, the hero and heroine of Longfellow's poem, The Courtship of Miles Standish. He went to Philadelphia in 1788, entered the University of Pennsylvania, a year after the Constitutional Congress began its deliberations there. After graduating, he studied theology at Dickinson College and then became a prominent Presbyterian minister in New York City. He also achieved fame as an author. In 1812, Miller and several others founded Princeton Theological Seminary. The following year, he left his congregation in New York and went to Princeton to become the seminary's second professor. He taught church history and church government. Spent the next 36 years at Princeton teaching and preaching with equal passion. He reveled in educating future Presbyterian ministers watching them grow into theologically knowledgeable and godly pastors. During the early 1840s, his health began to deteriorate, but he was able to continue his work. In August of 1849, it was clear, he's 80 years old, that he was too weak to carry out his teaching duties. Students continued to visit him for prayer and guidance, but he did not return to his seminary classroom. On Sunday, this happened to have been a Sunday, August nineteenth, eighteen forty-nine, though very weak, Samuel Miller preached at the Dutch Neck Presbyterian Church, five miles from Princeton, where for ten years he and Archibald Alexander had served while the church was without a pastor. He spoke on hope as the anchor of the soul, out of Hebrews chapter sixteen, verse nineteen. Uh, Hebrews chapter six, verse nineteen, emphasizing the differences between the anchor of a ship. And the anchor of the soul. Last week, uh, Kathy and I were in San Diego, California, for a, a, a meeting. And uh, we had a little time off. We went walking down. And the, uh, there's an aircraft carrier there that's a permanent museum. I did not realize how big aircraft carriers are. thing is huge. Think how big the anchor is that has to hold that thing in place. That's gigantic. So here's the difference. The anchor on a ship takes hold of things below, but the believer's hope takes hold on things above. He told the congregation, whether or not this may be the last time that I shall address you is a matter of small importance. But you may inquire, how does this hope appear to an old man standing just upon the verge of the grave? Then he lifted up his hands and exclaimed in a faltering voice, inexpressibly delightful. Here's a man, he's, he's
1: on the verge of the grave. And he's,
0: he's preaching about the hope that we have. He says, <clears throat> in so many words, this life is nothing compared to what's laid up in store for us. And he, that was his last sermon Although homebound and gravely ill, Samuel Miller continued to accept visitors. He was aware of his imminent death and spoke of it welcomingly and hopefully. When his visitors were leaving, he would say that since it would be their last encounter on earth, it would be well to close it with prayer. Miller's life was marked by humility and fervent prayer. Nowhere been better demonstrated than in the last prayer for a former student and beloved friend. And now, Lord, seeing that thine aged, imperfect servant is about to be gathered to his fathers, let the years of thy young servant be as the years of his dying teacher, that his ministry be more devoted, more holy, more useful. And when he comes to die, may he have fewer regrets to feel in reference of his past ministrations. We are to meet no more on earth For when thy servant shall follow his aged father to the grave, may we meet in heaven, there to sit and shine and sing with those who have turned many to righteousness, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Samuel Miller's epitaph reads, He lived esteemed by thousands and died amidst light and joy from the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom was all his hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 through 20 says, We who have fled to him for refuge can take courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, it leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there. For us, So I want to speak this morning about hope. Our hope. Paul, it's just such an amazing perspective that he had. Of troubles. Received 39 stripes on his back five times. Was shipwrecked several times. Was in danger from his own countrymen. He faced a lot. Most likely he faced a lot more than you and I will ever face. But he didn't, he wasn't phased. He, he wasn't phased. He said, pa. He called them light afflictions. I don't know about you, but I've never received 39 stripes once, ever. Five times he received it. Once it says he was beaten with rods, and I looked it up in the commentary, what they do is they turn him upside down and lock his feet in something and then beat the bottom of his feet with rods. That must have hurt. And what did he say? Par wow, these momentary light afflictions. That's one tough dude, I'm telling you. Jesus was tough too. How many of you would go into a town where they, you knew they were going to, uh, you know, murder you, basically, torture you? Jesus went willingly. Beginning at chapter 8, verse 18 of Romans, Paul writes and he says these words. There was a clicker here somewhere. Is this it?
1: Left hand side. On! Aha! And then we pointed at.
0: Voila! I consider that the sufferings of this present time are are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's a man, he had hope. He's looking at what he had been through and all the problems that he faced. and said, these are nothing. Sufferings of this life, in the Amplified Bible it's called, his experience. In the Message Bible, it says, if we go through hard times, guess who's going with us through them? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you as a believer. And everywhere you and I go, Jesus is with us. So if you go through hard times, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is your helper. Right there with you all the time. God, open our eyes. In the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, if we suffer with Him, we shall certainly share in His glory. (laughs) I was listening to the radio the other morning and uh, somebody on there was talking. He said, you know, a lot of people ask the questions, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Like Johnny Erickson Toto. Why am I in a wheelchair? Why am I paralyzed from the neck down? So, the person that was speaking said, You know, a lot of people ask why. But if you knew why, or if you had the answer to that, would it change anything? Not really, you'd still be in the wheelchair. You'd still be going through hard times. The real question is are you aware of God's presence with you? And are you looking to the future? Maybe you're having mental problems. Maybe you're having spiritual problems. Maybe you have physical problems. Maybe you have financial problems. The state of the believers in the hereafter through being brought into the likeness of Christ is far more better. We have a hope waiting for us. We have something not only in the future, but we also have God's help. We are. Actually, I was looking at Matthew Henry's commentary and he said, when Paul uses this word to be compared, it's kind of like holding a scale up and you put some stuff in one side and stuff in the other side and you see which is more. He also says it's like an accountant adding up the uh, profit and the loss, adding up the liabilities and the uh, equity. And seeing, you know, which is more? And it says that not only will it be revealed to us what we are going to have as an eternal reward, we're not just going to see it, but we're going to enjoy it. It's going to be in us. Excuse me, we have hope for the future because in verse 17, it says that we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. In those days, only the firstborn shared the inheritance, got the inheritance. But Jesus, being the firstborn from the dead, is sharing his inheritance with all of us. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now, say it with me, now, we are children of God. Now. Not in the future. But now, if you've received Jesus, you are a child of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Job, in chapter 19, he says, I know that in my flesh I will see God with my own eyes. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, Already knew about the resurrection from the dead long before Jesus ever came to the earth. Praise God.
1: We have hope for the future. I want to look next
0: at chapter 8, verse 19 through 22. This is very interesting to me. The creation. Waits for the eager, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. Ooh. That there's the pointer, futility or vanity in one translation. Not willingly, it didn't want to, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Creation. I was thinking about this. How many have seen pictures of you know beautiful landscapes and things, or pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope? That is some amazing stuff out there. But because of sin and transgression, all of creation, the whole universe, is marred by sin. Can you imagine if stuff looks beautiful now, how is it really supposed to look? Much better. Much more awesome. But right now we know that the whole universe is subject to decay. This is what he's saying here. This liberty of the children of God. When will that happen? At the resurrection, at the last day. It's all going to be put back together. Jesus, when he died on the cross, not only did he pay for the sins of the whole world, but he paid to redeem the entire universe, think about that. The entire universe was paid for. That's how precious, that's how powerful Jesus sacrifices. I like what Dr. Mike Petzer, our pastor at the, uh, the uh, Living Hope Family Church on 22nd Street says, that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof Of the unquestionable success of Jesus' sacrifice. And that all preaching should inspire faith in that sacrifice. And what Jesus did for us. Anything else, he says, is venting. I've heard a lot of preaching that was really venting. But the thing is that Jesus paid the price. When man sinned, the ground was cursed for man's sake. And with it, all of creation. But in verse 20, he says that the creation was subjected to futility or frustration and vanity, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, there's an aspect to the frustration of and the decay of the universe that there's some hope involved, that things are not always going to be this uh, lousy, not only going to be this marred, not, only, not always going to be subjected to decay. Think about this. It didn't, creation did not ask for decay to come upon itself. Sin brought it in. And if we look at, you know, creation, here on the earth we have uh, uh, things that come out of the ground that could be used for good things that come out of the ground that are not used for good for example you can uh, ferment corn and you get alcohol instead of using it for food there's this tremendous industry that produces this damaging stuff called alcohol it ruins families it ruins health ruins lives it ruins communities you've got uranium you get it out of the ground and they can use it to produce energy and electricity or they can use it as a weapon of war. Creation is subjected to vanity not because it wanted to it's not willing can you imagine if creation could speak the Bible says that if Jesus said if you don't praise me the rocks will cry out. Can you imagine the sheetrock crying and praising God (laughs) creation did not want to be Subject to corruption and decay. It's a bondage. But, verse 21, it says, The creation itself, all of the universe, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of God. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, it says, I create a new heavens and a new earth. First, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, In this new heavens and new earth, righteousness dwells. Wouldn't be wonderful that you don't have to worry about somebody breaking into your house and stealing your stuff. You don't have to worry about somebody getting on the internet and hacking into your bank accounts and just robbing you. You don't have to worry about someone murdering you. You don't have to worry about somebody lying to you. That's what life's supposed to be like. But we know that we live in a fallen world. All of creation. Verse 20. Verse Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says that same thing that will be a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 7, Jesus said, he or she who overcomes shall inherit all things. In verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. It's kind of interesting to note that... Uh, Out here at the Desert Museum, they have a seismograph so you can see how many earthquakes there are around the world. Jesus said that's one of the signs of the time that the end is coming. There'll be earthquakes in various places, among other things. The whole earth is kind of like, man, I wish this was over soon. Can you say amen? That's how I feel sometimes. I wish I'd much rather be, Paul says, for me to die is gain. To live as Christ. I'd much rather be departed than be with Jesus. But for your sake, he says, I'm still here. In other words, it's God's will. It's not yet. Everybody has an appointment. Nobody knows exactly when that appointment comes to pass. But everybody on this earth has an appointment. I was reading a book yesterday uh, by a guy from Norway. Uh, who used to be a drug addict, and now he's uh, born again, and he's got uh, a ministry to unreached people. On the back of the book, it says about 66,000 people or more a day die without ever hearing about Jesus. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel.
1: All right, let's go on. Verses 23 through 25.
0: Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Wait for it. Wait for it. Not only, verse 22, that the whole creation groans, but we do too. How I many you know, there's more to life than what we just see here. There's more to what God, God is not finished with us yet. God has only given us, a. if he gave us everything at once, we'd probably blow our minds, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We'd be like spoiled brats. God has much more for us. We have the first fruits of the spirit. We are groaning inside ourselves. How many have ever tried to pray? And you just didn't have the words to pray. It's like, oh God, help me. God, do something. I don't know what to do, God. Help God. Do something. God, release your power. There are times all I can do is go, ah! I didn't know what to say. And Paul says that the same thing also further on. But we're waiting eagerly. Do you have a sense of expectation that God's going to do something in your life? That God is doing something in your life? That God's using you? No matter how small and insignificant it seems, you pray, God's using you. If you tell somebody about Jesus, God's using you. If you give financially into the kingdom of God, God is using you. God is on the move. God is doing something. <sighs> Praise God. At the resurrection from the dead, our adoption will be completed. The redemption of our body. I don't know about you, but I've got a few aches and pains and I can hardly wait. You know, uh, I still feel kind of young, but <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be. <sighs> and I still feel... Ach- in fact, I worked out in the sun the other day and it's like, man, I haven't been out in the sun in a long time. (laughs) I used to work out in the sun all the time. Now the contractor I work for, we work indoors most of the time, air conditioning. And he said, now you can work twice as hard. (laughs) But as we get older, we see that we're we're subject to decay. We have a hope that our adoption, the redemption of our body, we're going to be changed. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more wiring out. Praise God. What he's saying basically <clears throat> wait patiently for it with perseverance. Check your attitude. Check your attitude. Are you patiently waiting? The Bible says, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. So have an attitude check every so often. Wait patiently. Matthew Henry says, those who have a relationship with God must deal with God on trust. Faith respects the promises. Hope focuses on the thing promised. I'll say that again. Faith respects the promise. God has given us exceeding great and precious promises whereby we have been made partakers of his divine nature. To me, that's like, whoa. Me, divine nature. (laughs) God, you don't know me. God says, yes, I do. And I know what I've placed inside of you. His divine nature. Is it hard to love some people? You bet it is. But with the love of God, with God's help, you can love people. For me, it's kind of hard to be compassionate towards, you know, I I drive a company truck and, and I see lots of guys on the street there with their signs and I'm kind of cynical. I said, this guy's a homeless veteran. There's programs for homeless veterans here in Tucson. He doesn't need to be out here. I bet he's not a veteran. Whatever. God wants us to have a better attitude. Can you say amen? So, faith respects the promise. Hope focuses on the things promised. God has promised us a lot of things. Resurrection from the dead for one thing. Prosperity. The Bible says that God delights in the prosperity of His servants. So, like Kathy telling me yesterday, she's watching TV while I was studying, and said, "Well, that was a good sermon." Said, oh. Dr. Charles Stanley was uh, preaching about. Do you ask God what to do for every little thing? You probably should. You ask God. Oh, God. Well, you know talking to you with your wife, we got the money, let's send our kids to college. What well, did you ask God? What college to send them to? Did not you ask, should you buy this house? Did you buy this car? Should, what did you ask God? Because God
1: has got a plan for you and I. <laughs> we should really be in God's plan and not our own plan. Well, enough
0: enough chewing you out there. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Weakness? I'm not weak. I'm strong. What do you mean weakness? In some translations, it says weaknesses. In other translations, it says it helps us in our infirmity. Our current weakness of the spiritual life. How many know that God has got a lot more for us than what we've experienced. God has, say it with me, God has more. God has more. Say it like you mean it. God has more. We just barely, I think we, after 30 some odd years, I'm, I barely scratched the surface of God, what God is wanting and what God's doing. It's our infirmity. Human language is inadequate sometimes for prayer. The Bible says we see now through a glass dimly or darkly. We don't see the big picture. How many have ever seen a a tapestry? Went to um, Hearst Castle for a visit one time. It was an amazing place. Mr. Hearst, he bought these gigantic wall-sized tapestries. and And the reason he bought them is because he was a newspaper man. And that's how they did the newspapers back in the Middle Ages. With big tapestries. But if you go behind the tapestry, it looks like a bunch of jumbled stuff. God is the tapestry maker in our lives. Can you say amen? He's the one that's got the big picture for us. We only see a little bit. Doubts arise. And what's really amazing here is, Paul says, the Spirit helps us. In our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. He's Paul the Apostle, he saw Jesus several times, the resurrected Jesus. And he says, he doesn't know what to pray for all the time either. So we're in good company. Can you say amen? (laughs) God, I don't know what to pray for. What should I say? And I believe that this is one of the reason the Bible says it says right here the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I believe it's talking about praying in tongues. Paul the apostle said, "I pray in tongues more than all of you." That's an act of faith. I don't know what I'm saying, but I believe God knows what I'm saying. Because you'll come to a time when you're you're praying and you. Run out of words. What am I? And you know, and you can feel in your spirit God, I've got to pray more. I've got to break through. I've got to make contact. And God will help you
1: through the Spirit. Verse 27. Now,
0: now, say with me now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How many want to fulfill the will of God in your life? God has a will for each and every one of
1: us. Praise God.
0: Psalm 139 verse 1 says, God searched me and try me. He makes intercession for us. First Corinthians chapter two verse sixteen says, "Amazing, we." It says, "But we have the mind of Christ." Who me? Yes, you. You have the mind of Christ. <laughs> hey, I don't know nothing. Well, read your Bible. <laughs> read your Bible. You'll get the mind of Christ. Pray, you have the mind of Christ. We have, not we're going to have, but we have the mind of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 says these amazing words, In everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for you? Give thanks in everything. Doesn't make sense all the time, but that's the will of God. Give thanks in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Because why? How can he say that? Here's Paul the Apostle, like we, I said earlier, he went through a lot of hard times. And he was still able to give thanks in everything. Because, what did Jesus say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with us. Always, always, always. He's in your dreams. He's in your waking every moment of the day, whether you're aware of it or not. He will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. Can you say amen? Praise God. Now verse 28. Say it with me. And we know, we know. Not maybe, but we know definitely that all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you love God? However feebly and weakly you love God, you still love God. And however much your love for Him goes up and down, He loves you and I and His love is unending and faithful and it does not ever diminish nor grow weak. Ours might, but His never does. And because of that, we can know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. However weakly you love God, however strongly you love God, everything is working together for good. Everything. No matter what
1: it looked like. Praise God.
0: To those who are called according to His purpose. In the Message Bible it says these words. It translates it. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Have you stumbled? Have you fallen? Have you made a mistake? Have you done something stupid? I have lots of times. But all things work together for good to those that love God because God has got a purpose and we're going somewhere. Praise God. Think about Joseph in Egypt. His brothers were going to kill him, his own brothers, just because they were jealous. And one of his brothers, they saved his life, sold him into slavery instead. You know the whole story. He becomes prime minister of Egypt. His brothers come down. Where's the youngest brother? These are the guys that tried to kill me. What did they do to my younger brother? But later on, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Praise God. What a perspective. Hallelujah. We need to have that same perspective. ISIS means it for evil. Iran means it for evil. But God means it for good because something's going on in the universe that not everyone's aware of. But we have the mind of Christ that God is reaching out to sinners to bring them to repentance. Praise God. Verse 29 says, Whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. This does not mean that God knows or God has already ordained who's going to be saved and who's not. God knows everything. And this is beyond the pale of human comprehension. But it is not saying that you can live any way you want because God knows who's going to be saved in the end. If you don't repent, you're not getting in. Can you say amen? To be conformed is the Greek word, "somorphos." According to Dake's commentary, the resurrected body will be made like His glorious body. This is what God has foreknown and predestinated for all who conform to the gospel. Those that give their life to Jesus, they are going to have a resurrected body that will be like Jesus. That's what it's talking about. He calls everyone, but not everyone accepts the invitation. First, Second Peter chapter three verse nine says these words: "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Thank God! Can you say Amen that He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that a few would come to repentance?" It's not what it says, but that all should come to repentance. Moreover,
1: God is the author. How does it work?
0: Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He justified, or made clean, washed, and set free. Whom He justified, these He also glorified.
1: That means this word
0: glorified is talking about our adoption as sons and daughters of God. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Who knows what chapter 1, verse 7 says? This is a good memory verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us A spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And he continues in verse 8 and 9. therefore, wherefore, because he's given us this spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or the gospel of Jesus. For Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father in heaven. But don't be ashamed of that or of any prisoner. Or anybody else that loves God, that has accepted Jesus, that's going through hard times, and you know of, don't be ashamed, but share with them in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. How many have ever heard of, uh, um,
1: what's that? Martyrs? Uh... No, the
0: organization. Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you very much, Pastor Wayne. I wasn't here to rescue him last week when he couldn't remember the Scripture. Rescued me this week. Voice of the Martyrs. Look it up on the Internet. You can get involved with that just simply for praying for these people. And you're sharing in the sufferings for the Gospel when you do that. In verse 9, but guess what it says in verse 9. God has saved us. Not is going to, but has saved us. I had a gentleman at work one time. He said, "Ah, he was arguing with me. And I said, listen, you get saved when you accept Jesus as your Savior. His mercy is anew every morning. You stay saved day by day. And you will be saved in the end when Jesus comes back. But you are saved if you have received Jesus. And he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to the law, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's plan was already in effect before time began. And his plan was that
1: we love him. Praise God. And let's go to
0: verse thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, everybody else might be and well be with us. Who can be against us? I like Paul's attitude. For oh, God is for us. Go ahead, devil. I dare you. I double dog dare you, devil. <laughs> See what you can do. If God is for us. Who can be against us?
1: What can we conclude? Why don't we just take this word,
0: if, and write, since God is for us. Not if, it's not a question. He's saying, since God's for us, since God's on our side, since God's using us in however way he can, who can be against us? Everybody might as well be with us. Can you say amen? Since God is for us, our enemies are his enemies. I like that because God's a lot bigger than our enemies. <laughs> when God, when uh, what does it say in the psalm? It touched the apple of God's eye. When enemy tries to mess with you, not just messing with you and I, he's messing with God. When there's spiritual warfare going on, the war is not against us. It's against God. And God, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God. That's good news. Can you say amen? God's on our side. God's bigger than us. (laughs) He's bigger
1: than our enemy.
0: He makes a challenge and dares all the enemies of God to do their worst. Why? Because we have a limitless supply. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's good news. We have a limitless supply. Holy Spirit, help us. He delivered up. He didn't spare his son. What did he not spare him of? He didn't spare him the punishment that we deserve so that we would be spared the punishment that we deserve. That's good news. God is not angry with us. He's on our side. And the picture is of Abraham and Isaac. He says to Abraham, give me your son. Abraham says, okay. And because he was willing to do that, God said, now I know. I like that phrase. I know. We know. No shadow of a doubt.
1: When we were God's enemies,
0: he delivered Jesus up for us all. Even when we were his enemies. Before we turned to him, we were his enemies and he still gave up his own son. All the gifts of God are included in all that God has for us. How many know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, according to Jameson Brown and Fawcett's commentary, in the most comprehensive sense, God did more than enough, more than what was necessary for our sake.
1: Isaiah, we'll
0: go here from thirty-three to thirty-seven in chapter eight. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen. In one translation, it says "rather," which means Paul's saying, "Wait a minute. Wait. Uh, Let me correct it. Christ who died." And also is risen. Even at the right hand of God makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he has a list here. And then he quotes in Old Testament. All these things were more than conquerors through him <clears throat> who loved us. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8 and 9. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed they will grow old like a garment. And the little moth will eat them up. Who or what can separate us from the love of God? This is the believer's triumph. Verse 37. And all these things... We are more than conquerors. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him, through Him who loves us, not just loved but continues to love us. Praise God. Christ's love is steadfast. First Corinthians chapter one verses verse four. It says that God comforts us in all our tribulation. Ever know why? I don't know why you, God. You know you ask God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why? Because God will comfort you and I in our tribulations so that we might be able to comfort others who are in any trouble with the same comfort that God comforts us. You go through problems and God gets you through it. So when someone comes along going through that problem, you can say, God helped me get through. God comforted me.
1: Praise God. And then. Verse 38, 39,
0: Paul says, I'm thoroughly convinced, fully persuaded that death, nor life, angels, or demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor sun nor height, nor death, nor any created thing or anything that's going to be created, none of this will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. heard a pastor one time, uh, he was speaking, he said uh, there was a young lady that came to his church and uh, her uh, husband was in the Mexican Mafia. So the husband made an appointment. He didn't come to church. husband made an appointment to see the pastor. He says the guy comes in and locks the door. Comes over to the desk and says, you know what, I can kill you. And the pastor says, yep, I'm sure you can, but there's one thing you cannot do. Oh, really, what's that? You cannot separate yourself from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the man broke down and cried and repented because nothing, no matter how bad you are, no matter how nasty you are, no matter how hateful you are, nothing can separate us. From the love of God, not one person, not one thing, nothing in the whole universe can separate us. The message Bible says, none of this phases us. You have anybody ever come against you? I had a guy one time. We went, we we're inviting people to church, going door to door, and uh, I, I go to the back door, and there's a screen door, and uh, and uh, uh, guy inside says, "How do you like the water?" What? And he picks something up. I thought it was a gun. <laughs> There was a water sprayer from his faucet. <laughs> I thought he was going to shoot me with a gun at first. another time uh we're in another neighborhood, and I walk in the in the parking lot of this apartment building and there's a young man sitting in the car and as I walk up, I see him grab a uh look like a nine millimeter and put the clip in. I didn't think anything of it because I'm on a mission from God, so I start talking to him and didn't really get much place, but he didn't shoot me. (laughs) Praise God. I think he was trying to intimidate me, but I wasn't moved. I wasn't phased because I knew that I was doing the will of God. I was telling people about Jesus. Praise God. God protects us through him that loves us. We are victorious over all the none of these things. None of these things. These are not evidence. That God loves us any less. Whatever happens. Here's Paul the apostle. Eventually he was uh, murdered. Who did? He, who's the last uh, person that he. Uh, uh, in authority that he preached to. That he gave his testimony. He appealed to Caesar. And who was it that he appealed to? Nero. Guess what happened after Paul. Appeared before Nero. Nero went nuts. He burned half of Rome down so he could build a new palace. Did all kinds of weird stuff because he was confronted with a good God and he didn't want anything to do with it. And all of these things that happened to the early Christians, all of these things that happen to Christians today throughout the world, all of the mental anguish that you might go through trying to figure stuff out, none of it is able to separate you or I from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. It's permanent, it's secure, it's solid, it's unwavering, praise God. I'll never forget walking down the street before I got saved back in New York City and a young man stopped me on the street. I was younger than him. He's wearing a suit, he's got a Bible. He says, has anyone ever told you God loves you? And I've said this before, inside I'm thinking, you don't know anything about me. You know, I was in my early 20s and I was already messed up. Thinking, no, God can't love me. God's mad at me. I've, I've done a bunch of dumb stuff and really, really bad things that I don't want anybody to know about. Him. And uh, if God knew, oh man, he'd hit me with a big stick. But that stuck with me. God loves you. God loves you. And how we know is the proof. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. And there's much more besides just that. We have hope of the resurrection from the dead. We have hope for God's help here in this life. We have promises that He will never, ever, ever leave us alone. We are not orphans. Praise God. We have a Father in heaven. Who's the best dad?